God. Let's go to the word of the Lord this morning. About once a year I preach on the triumphal entry, if that makes sense to you. And this morning is no different. Let me bring to you a message this morning about the triumphal entry and maybe a different point of view from it, and that is the judgment of the Lamb. In fact, that's what's taking place on that triumphal entry, that day on the 10th of Nisan, uh, when Jesus is walking into the city of peace, Jerusalem. He had been planning on a coming to that city. It was his heart and will to celebrate Passover one last time before he would uh, uh, go to the cross, and he let his disciples know that. Now, at the same time, you've got, after the raising of Lazarus, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and elders have decided we must kill this Jesus. And so people are watching for him. Uh, his enemies are, are flanked to and fro to find out when he's coming into the city. And so Jesus tells his disciples that to go into the city and find a foal, a, a, a colt that has never been ridden, to find it for him, they, they go do that and bring it out to the city. This, this animal's never been ridden, never sat upon at all, and uh, Jesus does that. And all of this is in fulfillment of the prophecies that Messiah would come. And uh, Daniel prophesied, in fact, to the very day and hour when Messiah would ride into Jerusalem. And Jesus is there on that 10th day of Nisan. It happens to be the same day that all of Israel chooses the lamb that they're going to bring into their household for Passover. They're to keep that lamb for four days before they sacrifice it on Passover. And so the day that Israel's collecting the lamb of God, Jesus, the lamb of God, is riding into the house of David. David, riding into Jerusalem. And as he's riding in, the people bring palm branches and, bran and they cry out the Hallel, Psalm 118, and they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, hallelujah, to the son of David, save us now in the highest, Hosanna to the king. Hosanna means save now. And so they're believing at this triumphal entry that this Jesus is going to save them from the Roman Empire and from their occupation over Israel and to deliver them as a military leader, quite possibly, as a new king. And so they're celebrating and shouting the Hallel. This is in prophetic triumph according to Zechariah 9.9 where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I mean, prophetically, it's, it's amazing to where the Pharisees and the scribes say, Hey, Jesus, tell these people to stop saying those things. Stop quoting the Hillel. Stop shouting that you're the Messiah. Just cut it out. Jesus said, look at buddy, you don't understand what's going on right now. If these people were to stop, the rocks themselves would cry out in praise and triumph. Because this is the moment in all of human history that mankind had been waiting for. Jesus is coming into Zion, into Jerusalem as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not looking to be elected. He's not looking to have people follow him and vote for him. He is the King. And he arrives in his place. But what's interesting about this 
is the judgment of the lamb. You see, you couldn't just take any lamb to sacrifice on Passover. When you would take the lamb in, you had to make sure that this lamb was without spot or blemish. According to Exodus chapter 12, that they were to look and present the best lamb that they could, that there'd be no scar, there'd be no taint, there'd be nothing wrong with this lamb, but they would check it, they would judge it, they would test it before it was acceptable as a sacrifice before God. And so Jesus enters in, and what you begin to see is that, in fact, they are under the judgment. Jesus is under the judgment of those same priests and scribes and Pharisees who would judge to determine whether a lamb is acceptable in sacrifice. And what we see is this. You see in Matthew 21, you can turn there with me, Matthew 21, verse 23, that the chief priest and elders... They test Jesus. Matthew 21 says this in verse 23. He entered the temple and the chief priests and elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus returns that question with a question to them. I'll answer your question if you answer me this. By whose authority did John baptize? And so it confounded them. They didn't know what to say. They knew if they said it wrong, it would offend the people. If they said it a different way, it would be uh, uh, wrong in, uh, to, to Jesus. Uh, uh, they didn't know. Is he of God? Is he not of God? They didn't know how to answer it. And he said, well, if you can't answer me, I ain't going to answer you. And so he was tested by the chief priests and elders, and he was found without fault. In chapter 22, it says that the Pharisees and the Herodians asked him a question. They wanted to trick him. Matthew 22:15 says the Pharisees went and plotted how to engage him in his talk. And so they went and asked, hey, teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of truth truthfully and you, care, we, you do not care about anybody's opinion and you're not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Here they're testing him again, trying to judge him, trying to figure out can we trip him up on an issue politically? Because in the authority of the chief priests, he was not finding fault with God. And now let's check him out politically. Let's get him that way. And he passes the test and he says, Who's, whose picture's on the coin? Caesar. Well, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Again, he passes the inspection. They can't trick him. They can't fool him. The Lamb of God is pure and spotless, righteous and true. And so the Pharisees check him and cannot uh, make him fail. Then we go on. Mark 22, verse 23. It says this. The same day, Sadducees came to him who say that there's no resurrection, and they asked him a question. Hey, teacher, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry a widow. And if she married seven more in the resurrection, <laughs> who's she married to, huh? Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about. You think you understand the word. You don't know anything. And again, tested again, judged now by Sadducees about the resurrection. Jesus says <coughs> that... Uh, Obviously, that God is the Father and Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not a God of the dead. He's a God of the living. And so 
He answers them and their questions. Then we have the lawyers, the Pharisees that are lawyers come in Matthew 22, verse 34, and they ask him this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? No problem. Jesus answers that according to the law in fulfillment. The greatest uh, uh, commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, and to love others as yourself. Those are the two chief uh, laws that all the laws uh, and the prophets hang on. So he's tested. The Lamb of God is tested religiously, politically. He's tested on his theology. And he's tested on the question of the Torah. And we're not done there. The Lamb of God is also challenged even by Gentiles. And as he's taken into the courts of Pilate and he's taken into the court of Herod, Pilate says this in Luke 23, 14, You brought me this man as one who is misleading the people. And after examining before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges you brought against him. Neither did Herod. He sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I wash my hands. The Lamb of God, spotless, pure, without judgment. A Pharisee of the law could not find any guilt in him. A Sadducee could not find any fault in him. The chief priests and the elders could not find fault in him. They couldn't trip him up. They couldn't find him ignorant. And even the Gentiles and the rulers, Pilate and Herod, found no fault in him. He's a pure and spotless lamb. When it came to the judgment of the Lamb, he passed it as clean and pure and holy. The only man who never sinned and honored God in everything he did. Amen. Amen. Oh, but we're not done yet. Because in fact, this triumphal entry was more than Jesus coming in to be inspected. This was in fact Jesus, the Son of God bringing his judgment and inspecting Israel. And so you see the same as as him being judged by others, he is coming in judgment. This triumphal entry wasn't to try to get a crowd to gather around him. This triumphal entry wasn't to try and influence and win people to his opinion. He was coming as king riding on that colt. He was coming in to judge Israel, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the temple, and in fact, the whole world. First off, we see this. In Matthew chapter 23, there are seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. When you understand Hebraic prophetic utterances, a woe is a declaration of doom upon a people. A prophet would strike a pose. He would strike a posture in which he would, pro- he would prophesy and speak a woe. Woe unto you. You don't want Jesus to say that to you. For when Jesus says woe unto you, he means woe. You are in trouble. He pronounces seven woes over the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day who were to lead the people to the Messiah had in fact led them astray. 
If you'll read these seven woes, you will thank God that you are not one of these scribes and Pharisees. He says, scribes, the Pharisees, sit in Moses' seat. You're to know the law. He goes, woe to you hypocrites. Woe to you blind guides. Woe to you who tithe on mint and dill, and yet you do not practice justice and mercy. Woe to you hypocrites. You're clean on the outside, but you are dead men's bones on the inside. Woe to you hypocrites. Woe to you. And he pronounces one woe after another, and he judges the religious leaders as being found wanting, and he curses them by the authority of God. Mm-mm-mm. He then goes in, and he goes into the temple according to Matthew 23, verse, as he's riding to Jerusalem. He says this over the city of Jerusalem, but uh, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This generation and that tabernacle, that temple was destroyed. In fact, he said, not one stone will remain upon another. And he cursed the temple of God because he was done with it. When Christ was crucified, the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. And it was no longer necessary because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God now made man's hearts the temple in which he dwelt. And in 70 AD, the, the, the judgment came upon the temple of Israel. And it was utterly destroyed. By Titian. And they said that as it burned and the fire consumed that temple in Jerusalem, the heat had gotten so intense that the gold that was on the walls and the gold that was ornate in all of the, the walls and furniture began to melt and seep into the brick. And the Roman soldiers who had torched it came and began to dismantle brick and stone off of stone so they could get the gold to where literally not one stone remained on top of each other in that temple just as Jesus had prophesied and so the lamb and the judgment of the lamb comes and judges the religious leaders he judges the temple and now he judges Jerusalem he judges Israel turn with me to Luke chapter 19 and in Luke 19 Jesus says this in verse 41. He drew near and he saw the city and he wept over it. And he said this in verse 42. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. Why did he say that? Because it's the city of peace. Jerusalem. The city of shalom. The city of peace. But you don't know peace. You don't know the day 
that things make for peace, because the Prince of Peace is riding into you. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. They did not receive the King of Jerusalem. They did not receive the son of David. They did not receive him. And now Jerusalem is judged. He says in Matthew 21, 19, as he approaches the fig tree, as he's coming into the triumphal entry, he curses the fig tree because when he looks to see if there's any fruit, there's no fruit on it. And the fruit and the fig tree has traditionally and historically been the symbol of Israel. In fact, Jesus, as he curses the fig tree, he is in essence cursing Israel. And he says this in Matthew 21, 19, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. Then down in verse 36 of Matthew 21, he says, Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. The judgment of the Lamb. It's almost ridiculous that those who were scribes, Pharisees, chief priests, elders would judge Jesus and test him when in fact they had no understanding of the hour of their visitation. Jesus was not messing around. He was not playing around. He was weeping over the city, weeping over the temple, speaking judgment over those religious leaders. And finally, Not only is this judgment against the religious, that Israel was the light of the world. They were to bring the announcement of Messiah. They were to receive him. But they would not, he says. They stoned the prophets and killed the messengers. And so he curses Israel itself. And then, last of all, his judgment now on the world. John chapter 12, verse 23 says this. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he says in John 12, 28, Father, glorify your name. Many people don't speak of this, but this is the, the, the third time that God spoke from heaven. And it says this, turn with me there to John 12, so you can read it and be convicted by the word of the Lord. I'll read it, John 12, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what should I say? Father, deliver me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered, Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Jesus didn't need reassurance. Jesus didn't need to have confirmation from the Father. Again, God himself spoke from heaven over Israel. And they did not receive it. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. 
Not only did he judge the scribes and Pharisees with the woes, not only did he call the temple to be in ruins, not only did he call out Israel to be uh, cursed and its generations to be stopped, but he now speaks about the judgment coming to the whole world and ultimately to the God of the age, Satan himself. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is going to be slain. And as he is slain, it will bring judgment against all of mankind. What judgment? The judgment against sin. From Adam till the time of Jesus, the second Adam, the last Adam, all of the sin of mankind is placed upon the Lamb of God. Jesus Himself is taking on the sin of the world so that the judgment of the Lamb is now going to be performed by God His Father. Father will now judge the Lamb. And upon the Lamb, He has in intercession taken all the sins of the world. And as He takes upon Himself the sin of the world, the Father pours out His wrath upon mankind found in Adam. Jesus Christ. Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus takes on the mediation of our sin. He takes on the judgment for our sin on himself. And now he is judged. And he said, by that, Satan is defeated totally disarmed from his ability to accuse and condemn by the law, for Christ has fulfilled it perfectly. Hallelujah. This triumphal entry is a series of judgments. The judgment of the Lamb. But what we rejoice in is what He said. As He hangs on that cross to take the judgment of the world, to in fact even take the judgment of those scribes and Pharisees upon Himself, even to those Roman soldiers who crucified and mocked Him, He took it upon Himself, their sin. Even those who at one day said Hosanna and the next day said crucify Him. The Lamb of glory took that sin upon Him. The sin committed in the temple as He turned over the money changers as those thieves and people who were taking money. He took that sin upon Himself. Righteous and true, He called out their sin. Righteous and true, He condemned them for it. But He took its punishment for them. In fact, He took the punishment and the wrath of God upon all sin for all mankind upon Himself. And He cried from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who is this King of glory? Who is this Lamb of God that in all this and in all of His oracles of doom, He Himself would take its punishment. The love of God is immeasurable. It's unknowable. And who is it that we could accept such grace 
and to receive it. Oh God, we receive this grace today. Forgive us. For you have every right, Jesus, to judge us. You were found without spot or wrinkle. You were found with no accusation against him. Yet you could nail every one of us for our sins. You could judge every one of us. But in your grace, you took the judgment and the wrath of God for us. This is the story of the judgment of the Lamb. Today, you choose the Lamb of God. Isn't it interesting the way we put it as Christians? That we get to choose whether we want to receive Jesus or not. It's only when you're born again you believe and you begin to understand, who was I to make that choice? He chose me. And He loved me first before I could ever choose Him. Who do we think we are that we would judge the Lamb of God to see if He's good enough for us to accept? To see if He's worthy enough to call. We elect you our Lord and Savior. That we would call upon you to give you the privilege, Jesus, to be my King. How dare we when we recognize the judgment of the Lamb where we all would fall upon our faces and say, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner, that you would choose me and forgive me of my sins, that you would take my sin upon you. You see, you personally need to come into fellowship and communion with Jesus because He personally absorbed your sin. As he hung on that cross, he knew what it felt like when you were blaspheming Father. When I was offending his holiness, he still received me in his love. The stupid things I've said and the heinous things I've done in thought and mind and deed, my king has chosen to forgive me and receive me as his own. That is the greatest triumphal entry that Christ has done and repeatedly does for each soul that's saved. He triumphantly enters into our sinfulness to cleanse us and wash us and rule as king of that Jerusalem that is our heart. And he no longer condemns you, but he establishes his throne in us. And His Holy Spirit now works within us to bring the judgment of the Lamb to teach us and instruct us how to walk in righteousness. How could we as believers ever want to get away with sin? How could we as believers with the holiness of God enthroned on our heart and in our soul ever think we could get away with offending the righteousness of God? No, the judgment of the Lamb is righteous and true, and we fall upon the mercy and the grace of our God. So there is only one thing left 
for you and I to do, and that is to praise the glory of Jesus Christ. That is to honor Him and to worship Him with our whole hearts. And I would have to say, if you cannot abandon your heart and abandon yourself to worship, I would challenge you in your salvation. Dare I say, you should evaluate to see if you truly are saved. Something must stir within you to recognize that all your sins have been cleansed and that you and I who deserve eternal damnation have been parted pardoned by the judgment of the Lamb. Let us worship Him this morning. Amen. But before I do, I have to ask this morning, under the plea and understanding of what was done for you, is there anyone here this morning who has never received forgiveness from Jesus, who's never accepted Him as Lord and Savior. He's called you here today. He called an audience with you right now so that you would receive Him and call Him Lord. Is there anyone this morning I would just love to bring you into a knowledge of salvation? Anyone here this morning that wants to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior? You've never had Him as Lord and Savior before. Anyone? Anyone this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me ask you this question then, congregation. Is there anyone that you know that needs the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation? Is there anyone that needs... Raise your hand if you know somebody. All right. You know what? Take the church to them. Amen. Amen. Let's take this. You all know it. I'm asking you today, under the mandate of, the, of this preaching today, under the mandate of the anointing on this house right now, I am asking you to make that call today to someone, that person that was on your mind. Would you make the attempt today? Would you say, I thought about you today in church. I thought about the goodness of our Savior, and I had to call you up. I had to talk to you. Can we do that today? Amen. Let us stand and pray. Hallelujah.